never want to get that call. It was a call that changed my life. It was the call that said, your tests are positive. You have breast cancer. When you're told you're diagnosed with something, you think you become that. So immediately I, um, I went to my husband, Dennis, and I just cried like a baby. And then after a while, I don't even know how long that was, I just fell on my knees and just started praying. My son was five years old, Corey, and my daughter was eight. And I just cried and I said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die, Lord. I, I want to see my daughter get married. I want to, I want to see them graduate from high school. I want, to, I want to go to their games. I want to be there for them. And I just kept crying. And I said, I'm gonna do this. And then I got myself together and a peace came, you know, enough for me to say I gotta call my dad. So I called my dad and I told him, I'm gonna fight this. There are a lot of aspects of being diagnosed with breast cancer that made me doubt who I was. Breast cancer is a very cruel disease that especially for women. You've got surgery, you're on chemo. I really had to trust God in why this was happening to me and, and that there was purpose in this and that there were some things about me that I just needed to learn. And one of the biggest things was when you go through cancer and you lose all of your hair as a woman for the first time looking in the mirror, your face. As women, we tend to put on our makeup so we're looking at our eyes or maybe our lips or fixing our hair. But to look at your face and he says, I want you to know who you are. And his word says, you are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of Christ. That was tough to look at with cancer. One of the things that I did, I had a, a small group of people um, from Salem Fields, and, and they surrounded me with love, and I, I did tell them, and they went to my appointment uh, for my surgery. They were there for me. They were there to encourage me, pray for me, uh, and really helped me get through. So knowing that I didn't want that label of the girl with cancer, you know, God constantly had to remind me that I was so much more than that, that I was made for great purpose. And so he allowed me to work. I cannot tell you how I was able to go to work because the chemo was really no joke. There were days that I just didn't feel like it, but I pushed through. It wasn't my strength, it was, it was his strength. Now, in 2017, and that happened in 2005, there are times that I forget that I'm a cancer survivor. No matter what you're going through, it, it, the label may not be cancer. It could be divorce. It could be um, abandonment. Whatever it is that you're going through, God never leaves our side. And he showed me that through this walk.
I have great purpose and he showed me that his word is true and that I am fearfully and wonderfully made and every day that I get up and I'm able to see the sunrise experience a new day with friends or my family I know that there's a God because I didn't deserve it I didn't earn it I didn't do anything to make it happen and I'm no different than anybody else sitting out there but I stood on his word and today I am in Christ. That's my identity. Turn to the person next to you and say, 
I'm ready for a comeback. Now turn back to that person that just told that to you and say, I'm already back. Lovely. I love it. So uh, how awesome of a testimony was Susan's? You know, here she faced a ton of adversity, and now she's letting God use that story to reach others. It's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, recently I've seen athletes uh, adopt this motto, a minor setback for a major comeback. Whenever uh, they face an injury, you know, they're set their eyes on this goal of uh, being a champion, and then uh, they get an injury, and it sets them back. And the motto that they really stand by is, you know what, this is just a minor setback for a major comeback. And, you know, a lot of us face different setbacks in life. Uh, we face different forms of adversity. We face different forms of struggles in the same way. And sometimes we have to overcome these things to achieve uh, really the things that we want to achieve in life. Uh, and I think many of us, we would like to... Uh, look at this whole idea of a comeback as something that we love. You know, we love the comeback story, especially as Americans. We love to see people uh, just hit rock bottom just to come back and just to overcome and just to achieve greatness. I think that's why we love this past Super Bowl so much is because we saw a team at halftime that was completely dead in the water, and then they came back and they won the Super Bowl. I know. I, I don't like them either, but it's a comeback story. But here's the deal about that. I think many of us love the comeback story, but we don't want it to necessarily be a part of our lives. We would rather stay on the top and remain on the top, never having to face adversity, never having to face struggles, just smooth sailing all the way through life. But that's not life. Life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of struggles. And sometimes we, we face things that are easy to deal with, but sometimes we face things that are insurmountable. Sometimes we face things that seem impossible, and oftentimes in the midst of them, we start to question God, we start to question our present, and we start to question our futures. See, when I think about uh, setbacks and comebacks, immediately within the Bible, I think about Joseph. Now, I'm not talking about Mary and Joseph, I'm talking about Joseph of Genesis. Uh, this young man was uh, the favorite son of his father. He had a whole stack of brothers, but out of all of them, his father took a liking to him the most. And that didn't sit well with his brothers. And Joseph ends up having this dream. And in the dream, his entire family, including his brothers, are bowing down to him. So Joseph shares this whole dream and vision with them. And I think that fueled their fire a little bit more against him. So they say, you know what? Joseph's getting on our nerves. We're just done with him. We're done with dad liking him more. So you know what? Let's just, let's just leave him for dead. Let's just, let's just kill him. Let's just get rid of him. And they throw this man in a pit. And so they start to then think, they're like, well, we don't want his blood on our hands. You know what? Hey, this guy's coming here. Let's just sell him into slavery. We'll get rid of him. He'll go and he'll just be a slave. And we'll be cool with that because then he's out of our hair. So uh, immediately this brings us to Joseph's first setback in life. He has this vision that people are going to bow down to him. His family's going to bow down to him. And now he finds himself in a pit, and then he finds himself as a slave. 
And I wonder how many of us in life have had dreams and have had visions and these great things that we're going to achieve and we can just see them. But then all of a sudden something in life hits and we find ourselves in a pit. Or we go through a circumstance or we go through a struggle that almost feels like we're a slave to it that prevents us from seeing that dream happen. So that's exactly what's happening to Joseph, but there is a little comeback for him on the horizon. He ends up with this man. He's sold into slavery, and he ends up in this man's house in Egypt. His name is Potiphar. And uh, Potiphar takes a liking to Joseph. He, he sees Joseph is this great guy, and so he, Joseph becomes successful. Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire household. And, okay, if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, all right, this entire thing has sucked. My entire family has turned their backs on me. Uh, I, I am now a slave when I was free, but okay, I, I'm successful. I'm, I'm giving, getting some power, and, and I'm, this guy's showing me favor, and he's taking care of me. So okay, this is turning around. This is coming back. You know, and so how many times in life do we feel like, okay, I'm taking a step forward, just to boom, take three steps back. It feels like we're making progress. It feels like we're overcoming. And then all of a sudden, boom, something else happens. And it feels like we're in a worse place than before. And that's exactly what happens to Joseph. His next setback is Potiphar's wife ends up taking a liking to Joseph. To the point where she even puts a move on Joseph. And Joseph, being the great guy that he is, rejects it, flees from the house. And guess what? Potiphar's wife did not like this too much. So she goes to her husband and says, you know what? This man put a move on me. Potiphar, of course, isn't liking this. He said, we cannot have any of this. So he puts Joseph in prison. Joseph done nothing wrong, yet finds himself back in captivity and probably looking at, man, the pit was better than this jail cell. And so how many times have, have we faced things where we've done the right thing and we've, we've worked hard, we've, we've made the right choices, but still we find ourselves in this bad situation, in this struggle you know, there is still, though, for Joseph, another comeback that's on the horizon. So he finds favor with the prison guard. The Bible says that the prison guard puts Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. And not only is he in charge of all the prisoners, but God has also gifted Joseph with this ability to interpret dreams. And so two of the prisoners that are in prison with Joseph just so happen to be two workers for Pharaoh. Pharaoh rules over all of Egypt. And if there is anyone that can get Joseph out of prison, it's Pharaoh. So these two prison, uh, these two workers of Pharaoh have this dream while in prison. And, and one a dream looks negative and one dream looks positive. So they share it with Joseph. God gives Joseph the wisdom. And Joseph says, okay, I'll share the, I'll share the results of this dream with you. But you have to remember me when you go before Pharaoh. He tells the one guy, Pharaoh's going to kill you. How about getting that dream interpretation? But the other guy, it's positive. You know, you're going to find favor with Pharaoh, and he's going to take care of you. And that guy says, look, Joseph, thank you. I will remember you in front of Pharaoh. So he gets out of prison, and he forgets all about Joseph. Next setback. Joseph remains in prison. Remains in prison for two years, in fact. So this is where we're going to pause on the comeback. You know, I think how many of us in, in life, we, we experience uh, struggle and trial and, and heartache and, and hurt and pain, and we do it so much that finally we get to a place where we're just like, 
man, this is just getting to be too much. I think I'm just ready to quit. I think I'm just ready to give up. I'm ready just to accept defeat. How many of us really just get to that point where we start to really question, is God in this? You know, because I'm thinking following God is going to be uh, these mountaintop experiences. I'm not supposed to face struggles. I'm not supposed to face challenges. I mean, things are supposed to be great. Now, what I haven't mentioned, though, is that the Bible says that God was with Joseph this entire time. That that was the reason Joseph was finding favor with all these people was because God was with him each and every time. So wait a minute. So, so God was with Joseph even in the pit? God was with Joseph even when he was a slave? God was with Joseph even when he was in that jail cell? Those aren't positives, but it says God was there. So how many of us think that when we face obstacles or when things aren't going the way that we think that they should, how many of us start to question God? Because it's so easy to trust God and to think everything's great when good things are happening. But when we're in a pit and we're in a prison, we tend to lean on this false idea that God isn't with us or that God isn't moving. But the character of God is that even when he isn't moving, he's moving. Even when it seems like he's not doing something, he's doing something. Even when it looks like nothing is changing, something is changing. The pause on the comeback doesn't mean that the comeback isn't going to happen. Because sometimes in that waiting period, sometimes in that period of nothing seems to be changing, I'm not getting out of this situation, it's in that waiting period that some of the greatest growth is taking place. So let's finish up Joseph's story here. He's in prison for two years when Pharaoh has a dream. Yeah, this, this seems like a, a God thing is happening. Suddenly, the man that forgot about Joseph says, oh, wait a minute, uh, I know who can interpret your dream. Oh, man, you got to go see Joseph. I see a comeback brewing, and we don't need Tom Brady for this comeback. So Joseph interprets the dream, reveals to Pharaoh that God is about to send seven years of plenty and seven years of famine upon the nation. And God gives Joseph the wisdom of how to prepare for it. So Joseph shares this with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh loves the idea and says, you know what? I can see that God is with you. I, you know what? God has uh, anointed you. You know what? I'm putting you in charge of everything. You take care of the household. You know what? Take care of all of my people. You rule over them. The only thing you cannot have is the throne, but everything else, go for it. Well, that's a comeback. But it doesn't stop there. Joseph not only leads Egypt through the famine, but he prospers them as everyone has to come to Egypt to get food because they were the only ones with the inside plan of what was going to happen. So they were the only ones that were able to prepare. And on top of that, the people that came to get food, they were his brothers. I think we're at a tie game right now. Their relationship ends up being restored. They apologize to Joseph for what they did. And Pharaoh gives all of Joseph's people the best land in Egypt. And an entire generation of people were saved. Now that's a comeback. All of those setbacks, all of the pain, all of the struggle, all of the hurting was birthing something far greater in the hands of God. And listen to what Joseph tells his brothers. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. So I know we've said minor setbacks, but at the time for Joseph, these things weren't minor. These things were some pretty major setbacks. Your family rejecting you is a pretty major thing. You finding yourself as a slave, pretty major thing. You in jail, a pretty major thing. But I wonder at this point, as Joseph reflects over what God has done, and he looks back over all those things that felt so major, he starts to take a reflection and is like, you know what? At the time, those things felt so big and so massive. But from the viewpoint that I stand now, you know what? The comeback was greater. Those things do seem kind of minor, minor in the whole scheme of what God was trying to do and wanting to do. So I wonder if that for our own lives, how many of us uh, can attest to, to seasons where it felt like things were so major. We, we were going through the biggest trial of our lives, but then we got through the season, and now we can reflect on it and be like, you know, it was the end of the world then. But now from where I stand, God did a lot in that season. And you know what? In the whole scheme of things, that was pretty minor. You know, we're going to stand with God one day, and we're going to look at everything in our lives, everything that we've ever been through. And I think we're going to stand with God, and we're going to see everything laid out and be like, wow, God, that's why that happened. Okay. Oh, I see what you were doing there. Oh, I see why that prayer didn't get answered, but this one did. I, I, I see what you were doing. See, there's purpose in our pain, and, and God's will was bigger than Joseph's comfort. Joseph's dream, that vision of people bowing down to him, was fulfilled. He did become a ruler, but not in the way I believe he imagined it. And the dream wasn't about him becoming a ruler. It was actually about saving everybody else. Are you viewing the challenges and circumstances in your life as struggles or as opportunities? See, a setback, are you viewing it as a sure defeat or as an opportunity for a major comeback. God can and will use all things, all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose, but we have to allow him. Our defeats can become our biggest victories, and our greatest challenges can become our greatest triumphs, but we have to start laying down our logic and start looking towards God's will. Because logic wouldn't say that, that God's will for Joseph would be abandoned by his brothers, left for dead, sold into slavery, falsely accused of adultery, forgotten for two years in prison in order to save an entire generation of people from famine. But that's what happened. God allowed certain circumstances to take place in order for his will to be carried out. Now, God didn't tell Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. But God knew exactly whose house Joseph would end up in. And God didn't tell Potiphar's wife to make a move on him. But God knew the character of Potiphar's wife and knew that, you know what? Joseph did need to get in prison because I needed him in front of those two workers for Pharaoh. Because I needed Joseph in front of Pharaoh to be able to tell Pharaoh this dream to save my people. All of those things, all of these moving parts, there's no way we could have seen that. When we're focused on our, our own circumstance, on our own struggle, we see it so narrowly. You know, look at this. My will 
magnifies my setbacks. Here's the thing. If I'm only focused on my will, my wants, my desires, the way I think things should happen, when a setback comes, the setback's going to be magnified. It's all I'm going to be able to see. The adversity is all I'm going to be able to see. But here's the deal. God's will magnifies my comebacks. See, if I'm focused on the will of God above all else, if I'm focused on pleasing him, if I'm focused on what he wants from my life, when the setback comes, I'm going to look at it as an opportunity for a comeback. I'm going to look at it as an opportunity for God to grow, for God to heal, for God to restore. But here's the thing. I have to allow it. I have to submit my will to God's will. Is this easy? Of course not. Because it goes against our human nature. But we have to practice it. We have to learn to surrender our will to his. See, Jesus did this. Jesus went to the cross, and before going to that, he said, take this cup from me. But, but, above all else, let your will be done. His will was surrendered to God in order to conquer sin and death. He chose God's will over his own in a garden, just like Adam and Eve chose their will over God's in a garden, through which the sin and death that Jesus was about to conquer began. Both acts of submission of will resulted in death, but the setback for surrendering to God's will didn't stop on Friday for Jesus. There was a Sunday. There was a resurrection the greatest comeback story in the world. And we serve a God that resurrects and we serve a God that redeems. And and maybe you have a hard time believing that because you've prayed for God to heal and the healing hasn't come. Maybe you pray for the relationship to be restored and things haven't changed. But that does not matter that that's the end for you because we serve a God of restoration. We serve a God of resurrection and there might be pain and there might be struggle in your life, but that doesn't mean that it's the end. God wants to use even the most painful experiences to produce something beautiful in our lives. He makes beauty from ashes. And just because we will something doesn't mean that God wills it. You see, his will isn't confined into the fixed window of our earthly lives. His will has eternal purposes in mind. God is a God of eternity, and everything that happens in life has that eternity in mind. Look at this example. This small window represents our life, the the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we get here on earth. That circle represents our biggest struggles, our biggest hurts, our biggest pains, our biggest mistakes, our, our biggest trials. And if we look at those things through the scope of just this life, that thing is going to be pretty big. Because if I'm only seeing it in this scope of this life, that's it. It's going to consume it. It's going to be magnified. But here's the deal. If I look through that exact same pain through the eyes of eternity, look how much different it looks. When I zoom out and I see in the whole scheme of things, the size of it hasn't changed, but the scope has. And so I'm able to see things. Okay, you know what? That was hard. But in the whole scheme of eternity, okay, it's not, it's not as big and as massive in terms of what God is trying to do for all of eternity. Things won't always make sense to us, but nothing ever surprises God. What in your life are you allowing to defeat you that God wants to grow in you and reach others with? What obstacle looks like an end but can truly be a beginning when surrendered to God? Because understand, if you are hearing my words right now, your story 
isn't over. Understand uh, this. I, I love this scripture. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's proof that every day is a new opportunity. It's not an ending. It's a beginning. For God's mercies are new every day. But here's the deal. If we're going to live differently and we're going to see differently, then we need to align our perspective with God's perspective. See, God wants to use every last detail of our greatest struggles, our biggest defeats, and our darkest days to be exclamation points of his glory. Think about how powerful it is to be able to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was an addict, but now I'm set free. I once was full of doubt, but now I'm full of faith because God. Fill in your own blank. We all have testimonies of this. I once was this, but when God came on the scene, I, he molded me, he transformed me, he shaped me, and now I am this. See, I know for the things for me personally, you know, I once was insecure. I once thought I was never good enough. I, I had to live up to people's expectations. People's opinions mattered to me more than anything. So everything I did was always for approval, was always for uh, recognition and acceptance. But then I surrendered that to God, and now I'm confident in Christ, knowing my worth is not in how people view me, but how my Father views me. And I know that I am worthy, and I know that that is where my approval lies. See, I once was fearful. I, I feared everything. I feared the unknown. I, I feared rejection. I, I, I feared stepping outside of my comfort zone. I feared man. But now giving that to God, I'm full of faith. Uh, and the one that has numbered my days, and the one that will never leave me nor forsake me. You know, I once was, was lustful. I struggled trying to find my identity in the amount of girls that I could hook up with. I, I thought that that was where my manhood lied. I thought that was what was going to fill these voids of, of needing to be accepted. I thought that's what was going to do it. So I had this wrong picture of what sex and what relationships were. But when I gave it to God, I am now pure. Now I have a godly view of what sex and what relationships are. Now I know who I am in light of scripture, in light of who God made me. And now that brokenness is filled and healed by God. See, I once was worthless. I once literally viewed that I was worthless, that I, I wasn't good enough. My opinion didn't matter. My voice didn't matter. I would be in meetings and everyone would be giving their opinion and I would just sit in the background silent because I thought my voice didn't matter. But now I have value in Christ. As evidenced by the cross is that he placed value on every single one of us. And, and some of us might be more important and less important in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of our Father, we are all on the same playing field. The list goes on and on of what God did in my life. But here's the deal. Just being a Christian and just believing in Jesus didn't change those things. Even as a Christian, I still struggled and struggled with all of those areas. It wasn't until I gave God complete control over those areas. And that he set me on a journey and he set me on a renewal of my mind. He changed my thinking and he began to turn these struggles into testimonies of his glory and who he was. See, I couldn't change those areas. I tried and I tried and I tried. Doing things my way ended with the exact same results. 
It was only through surrendering to his power, to his grace, and to his love that Jesus began to heal and restore. But I had the choice of whether I was going to stay in control or whether I was going to surrender everything over to him. I had this choice of whether the stories were going to end there and I was just going to accept the fact that this is just how things are always going to be. Or if I was going to be able to say, through God, I once was that, but now I'm this. I had to align my perspective with God's perspective. I needed to view myself not in the darkness of my pain, my struggles, and my circumstances. No, I needed to view myself in the light of Scripture. And Paul tells us to do this in Romans 12 too. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He knows all of these things. We bring this junk that has to be restored and renewed in light of Scripture, in light of who Jesus says we are. We just came out of a series that spoke right into our identity in Christ. All of these things have to be worked out and renewed, and God is the only one that can do that. Because here's the deal. Same thinking equals same results. If I stay in the same frame of thinking, if I keep looking at everything in my life the exact same way, then the results are always going to be the same. I have to take on a whole new thinking if I want to see change take place. But we don't just want to go from one wrong thinking to the next wrong thinking to the next wrong thinking. We need to go from wrong thinking to heavenly thinking. So I'm not a big math person. A D in math was woohoo. So, uh, But I love this equation. It says your now plus heavenly thinking equals right perspective, which is greater than the outcome. Let me break it down. Your right now, whatever that thing is in your life that you're dealing with, that you're struggling over, that trial, that obstacle, the thing that you are trying to overcome, if you add heavenly thinking, that's God's thinking, God's perspective, his word, uh, getting on your knees in prayer, allowing God to speak in to that situation, it's going to give you the right perspective over it. I'm no longer going to be so adamant and so focused on what I'm going through because I'm going to have an elevated form of thinking. I'm going to be looking at it as what God can do. What, what can God grow in me through this? What can God heal in me through this? And that's going to equate the right perspective on that situation, which, guess what, is always going to be greater than the outcome. Because now I'm not going through a trial focused on the outcome. Now I'm going through the trial focused on God's will. That's the priority. God, whatever the outcome, if it's your will, that's what I desire. So the outcome becomes irrelevant. I just want to be in your will. When we renew our way of living and thinking according to God's will and God's ways, what all that renewing and restoring is giving us are testimonies of God's faithfulness in our life. I once was that, but now I'm this because of God. What's the point of having a story if we don't share it? You know, imagine how many people battling cancer are going to be impacted by Susan's testimony. You know, uh, imagine, though, if Susan never shared that with anyone. Yeah, she would have a story of God's faithfulness in her own life, and that's great because we need that. We need to know what God has done in our lives. But here's the thing. We also need to tell the world about it because God wants to use what you have gone through to save other people that are going through the same thing, to encourage other people that are going through the same thing. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Essentially what Peter is saying is your story matters. 
don't shy away from sharing your story. Don't underestimate the power of your testimony. I mean, look at, look at the story of Lazarus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And there was a crowd there to witness what had happened. And look at what it says in John 12. It says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They told other people about it. And people came to know Jesus through it. They shared about what God had done. Look at the story of the woman at the well. This is a woman that would come out a certain time of day when no one else would be around to draw water because she was so ashamed of the fact of what was going on in her life, of the decisions and the choices that she had made. But then she encounters Jesus at the well. And look at what it says in John 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The woman didn't want to talk to anyone, and now she's talking to everyone because she had an encounter with Jesus, and everyone needed to know about it. Look at Paul. This was uh, the perfect Jew, and he also was the perfect person to persecute Christians. He went after them. He murdered them. But then he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. His eyes get blinded. But he, those eyes get healed when he comes to a relationship with Jesus. And look at what happens. It says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. Encounters Jesus, shares the story, lives changed. Lazarus was once dead, but then Jesus, and is now alive. The woman at the well, once ashamed, but then Jesus, and is now proclaiming. Paul, once a murderer of Christians, but then Jesus, and is now a teacher of Christians. Do you get what I'm saying? Whatever those things that God has done in your life, he wants to use to then be a story and a beacon of the hope that Jesus presents everyone that would come to believe in him. We just have to share it. You see, I want to talk about this, this sharing thing for a moment, and I'm going to do a shameless small group plug because I feel like it's important. So many of us shy away from Christian community because we let things like insecurity, like I just don't like opening up in groups, or, or we let things like pride, or I don't need anyone, or, or we let these obstacles of, oh, I have this sin in my life, and I have these struggles in my life. Let me just clean that up, and then maybe I can engage in Christian community. It doesn't work like that. See, God wants us to bring those messes. He wants us to bring our imperfections. He wants us to bring everything so that we can come around with brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to encourage one another, to be able to share our stories because your story might encourage me and my story might encourage you. And it's so important that God created Christian community for us to live it out together. We weren't meant to go through this life alone. And I can testify, I was one of those people that said, I didn't need Christian community. All I needed was my relationship with Jesus and I'm good. But the whole thing is that stunted my growth. It wasn't until I then, okay, started opening up and I started sharing with Christian community that, that we began, uh, I began growing and I began maturing. So I just want to encourage you, sign up for a small group. Try it out for four to six weeks. Just experience it. And, and then if you don't like it, then okay. But at least you took the step of faith to see what it's all about. That's what we do here at Salem Fields Community Church. So on your connection card, Write out your name, your email, your phone number. Sign up for a small group. Do it right now. Not seeing any pens move. I'm being serious. All right, do it before you leave. So here's the deal. Just join a group and share your stories. So in closing, 
What if we view everything about our lives as opportunities for Christ to produce something in us? The good and the bad. What if we viewed our stories as portraits of God's faithfulness that can change the lives of others? What if we viewed the things that the enemy meant for harm as the things that God will use to bring about the greatest testimonies? See, the greatest comeback stories aren't the stories that were perfect. No, the greatest comeback stories are the ones that were messy, uh, of the ones that were full of trials and, and full of obstacles, because it makes the comeback that much greater, that much sweeter. And guess what? With God, it magnifies him and it magnifies his character. And that's what God wants to do through us. Life is life, and, and life is full of ups and downs. But nothing we face ever has to be in vain, because God can use it all. We aren't supposed to live in quiet little boxes. Our lives aren't supposed to be Instagram filtered so that more people will like them. We aren't meant to, to cut and paste the, the pieces of our life that depict what we want, and then that's what we present to the world. No, our lives are, supposed to, are meant to be lived out loud, honestly, transparently, every single last part, the good, the bad, the ugly. God wants it all. Because the very thing that you want to hide from God is the very thing that he wants to heal and use. The very thing that you're trying to hide from others that you're not wanting anyone else to look at is the very thing that you need to come to your Christian community about and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need prayer. I need help. I need Jesus over this area so that we can come beside you. We can pray for you. We can encourage you and so that we can do this together. That's what it looks like. That's what it's about because that's also what Jesus wants to heal and then use to reach others that are dealing with the same issue, that are dealing with the same struggle, that are going through that season down the road that God brought you out of. But maybe you aren't hiding a secret from God. Maybe you're just hiding your pain. Maybe you're wanting to just deal with it and just keep it. Uh, you, don't, you can't think God can heal it or, or God can use it. But I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without surrendering that pain over to God, saying, okay, God, do with this what you want. You have your will on it. Maybe you aren't hiding a, a secret or, or pain from God, but, but maybe you're hiding your praise from God. You know, maybe you'll call out and cry out to God and glorify God when you're in a season where you really need him. But are you praising God for the blessings that you have? Are you putting God first before the setback happens? Because here's the deal, if we put God first before the setback happens, when the setback does happen, because Jesus says in this life, there will be trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So that when that setback does happen, I've already been prepared. I've already been focused on Jesus. So that when that setback happens, it's easier for me to overcome, and it's easier for me to see the fruits that God wants to produce through it. Look, I know I've been using the expression, uh, a minor setback a lot here this morning. But I know some of these things that you guys are dealing with right now in this moment are major. And the last thing I want to do is trivialize that and, and shrink it down. See, if anything, no, anyone knows about major struggles, I've watched my wife go through hell over the past three years. I've watched her suffer. I've watched her some days not even be able to get out of bed, not even be able to move, not even be able to take care of our young kids. We didn't know what the end result was going to be of everything that she was facing. All we could do was just grasp and cling to who God was, to what his word says about his character and his promises. We didn't know what the end result was going to be, but as we magnified Jesus in our lives, as we set our sights to him and not to what we were going through, 
God began to heal. God began to restore things in us. God began to grow some things in us. God began to birth some new dreams in us. And so I want to encourage you right now that whatever that is that you're going through, don't focus on the pain. Focus on who God is and what he can do through it. Because now that my wife and I are coming out of that season, we look back at that season and we see all that God has done. And we wouldn't have chose the trial that we had to face. But now that we stand where we are, we wouldn't have changed a thing because of what it produced in us. So I want to encourage you, do not lose heart. Do not lose faith. Look, we don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his faithfulness. We, we don't deserve eternity with him. But that's what he offers every single one of us. That's what makes the cross the greatest comeback story. And Jesus wants to use what he has done in our lives to magnify that story to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Don't ever stop trusting his goodness. Don't ever stop proclaiming all that he has done in your life. And whenever you come to a new setback, give it to God. Trust in his will. Remember his ways are higher than our ways. And remember his faithfulness. Let's stand. So I just thought we could end this service just by praising God. You know, I want us to, during this worship song, to look back for a little bit. You know, I want us to reflect and be able to look at the seasons of our life. Look at the obstacles, the trials, everything that we've been through. And just really start to be intentional about seeing what God has done. Start to look back at those things and, wow, you know, I was going through that in that season. But you know what? I stand here and I can see what God did there. You, or, or, you know, I remember going through that. I remember how it felt. I remember how big, and I, I just didn't know how I'd ever get out of it. But I can see what God did through it, and I can see where I'm standing now. So during this song, I, I just want you to reflect on those things, and then I just want you to begin to, to praise God for it, to thank Him for it, because He deserves our praise in the midst of the trial and on the other side of it. He is so worthy, and this song has this amazing bridge. It says, I've seen you move the mountains, and I believe you're going to do it again. You made a way when there was no way, and I believe you're going to do it again. So as we reflect on those things, let's also believe that God is still the same as he was then. He's still the same now, and he will always be the same. He is still that same faithful God. And so I just want us to reflect, and then when we get to that point, I just want us to proclaim God right now in the season that we are in, good or bad. Let's just thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him for his goodness. Amen. Let's worship. Walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet. 
waiting for change to come Knowing the battles For you have never failed me yet It's the place you promised still stands Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm stealing your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet.
your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. So God, we come before you right now, Lord. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you for the testimonies, God, that you've given each and every single one of us as we once were that, but now we're this, God. God, and I wanna pray for three specific people here this morning, God. God, I wanna pray first for the person, God, that has never known your faithfulness, God. God, that hasn't been able to see it, hasn't been able to see those pains and those struggles and those hardships, Father God, is opportunities for growth as opportunities for you to use to tell a greater story of who you are father god god i pray for those that that have just accepted those things as defeat as a past that they just want to forget god knowing that you want to turn that past into a testimony of your faithfulness for their future god so i pray for them god i pray lord that they would open their hearts to you that they would begin to have your eyes over those circumstances and situations god God, I want to pray for the people that are struggling for something right now in their present, God, that they need to be able to see what it is in their life in this moment, God. As they surrender it to you, you will use it. You will work things together for good. It might not be the way that they think. It might not be the way that they envision it, God, but as they surrender it to you, knowing that you will make beauty from the ashes, knowing that you will use that, Father God, for a testimony of your glory one way or another, God. And I pray right now that you would speak to their hearts, Father. You would comfort them. And you would give them the peace of knowing as they surrender it into your hands, God. There's no greater place for it to be. And God, I want to speak to everyone else that has a story of your faithfulness and your goodness, God, that they just haven't been able to share. God, that they've just shrunk back, that they just haven't known how or, or they haven't really wanted to open the parts of their lives, Father God, that they just viewed as messy. While you work through it, God, they just still aren't ready to share it. I pray, God, that you would give us a boldness as a church, God, to proclaim the testimonies that you've implanted in our lives of your character, of your love, your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, God, so that we can go out into this world that desperately needs to hear those stories so that they desperately can know the hope that can only be found in you that they are searching for. God, I pray that you would move, Lord. God, I pray that you would be magnified. So we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Sign up for a small group. If you don't, I will hunt you down. All right, go be blessed. We love you. We'll see you next weekend.